Welcome to Foreign Policy. I'm Sharon Weinberger, Executive Editor for Defense, and you're listening to the ER, our weekly podcast. Last Friday, the world watched something quite historic. The leaders of North and South Korea shook hands at the demilitarized zone, the DMZ, a tiny strip of land between the two countries. It was the first time a North Korean leader had ever set foot in the South, and that meeting resulted in the two sides vowing to negotiate a peace treaty. Now all eyes are on an upcoming summit between President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. What will take place at the summit, and what can it accomplish? To talk about these questions, I have with me today in the studio Matthew Kranig, Associate Professor at Georgetown University and author of the book, The Logic of American Nuclear Strategy. He's also the Deputy Director at the Scowcroft Center at the Atlantic Council. Matthew, thanks for taking the time to join us in our studio today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I wanted to start with a very basic question. Can you walk us through what are North Korea's nuclear capabilities today? How many weapons are they capable of building? And what are their missiles capable of delivering those weapons? How far can they go? Yeah. Well, there are three key steps to having a nuclear capability. Uh, the first is having the fissile material uh, that's the fuel for the nuclear device. Uh, second is being able to weaponize that to make a nuclear warhead. And then third is the ability to deliver that to an enemy. Uh, ballistic missile, airplane, or submarines are the uh, delivery vehicles the United States uses. Uh, our best estimates are that North Korea may have enough material for dozens of nuclear weapons. Uh, they've cu- conducted many nuclear tests now, so we think they have the ability to, to weaponize that. Uh, And then in terms of their missile capability, uh, we think they have the ability to deliver uh, nuclear-armed missiles to our allies and and bases in the region. And they're making progress on an ICBM uh, that would be able to reach the continental United States. Uh, My best estimate is that they're not there yet, but the trend lines are are in the wrong direction. And if their program continues to improve, they'll be there uh, eventually. Uh, So only the third U.S. adversary with the ability to hold the U.S. homeland at risk with the threat of nuclear war. So now take us to recent events, including the secret Easter weekend meeting um, that Mike Pompeo attended uh, with Kim Jong-un, and then the the subsequent announcement after that was revealed of a possible summit um, with Donald Trump. You know, certainly that was surprising for the public, but as someone who has watched these events closely, did it surprise you? I was somewhat surprised. You know, the entire uh, purpose of the Trump administration strategy of maximum pressure uh, was to try to force North Korea to the table to discuss denuclearization in earnest. Uh, so that's been the purpose of strategy for the past year or so. Uh, I think many people were skeptical that Kim Jong-un would be willing to come to the table, uh, would be willing to discuss uh, denuclearization. Uh, many people still are skeptical. Um, but, uh, you know, because Kim Jong-un Uh, we believe, sees holding on to nuclear weapons as key to his regime survival. So he should be incredibly reluctant to give them up. uh, But yet it looks like there is progress being made that the two sides are going to meet to discuss denuclearization. So it's interesting that you say that's progress. A year ago, we were on a panel together, and I asked you if Trump's approach to North Korea represented progress. And we were just a few months into the administration. And you said at the time, not the word progress, but you said it appeared North Korea was a priority for the Trump administration, and that was a good thing. So now you're talking about progress, right? I think that's uh, right. You know, North Korea has been 
uh, problem that's bedeviled uh, several administrations, uh, bipartisan policy failures, the Clinton administration, Bush administration, Obama administration. Um, uh, none of them were able to solve this problem. Uh, the Trump administration came in and said this was their foremost priority, uh, that it was the most urgent challenge facing the United States. And so I think because of that, there was a lot of attention to it. And in fact, H.R. McMaster completed a number of national security reviews, 15 while he was uh, in office. Uh, and the North Korea review was the first one he completed. So I think that's a sign that uh, this was the priority. Uh, they've done a lot to increase the pressure on North Korea over the past uh, year or so. Uh, and they've succeeded in, in uh, getting this summit. Now, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, at the summit. But um, you know, this was the point of the strategy to get North Korea to the table. So I think, I think that is progress. Well, I want to get to the summit in a moment. But I actually had a question about that. I remember even back during the transition, I'm talking to people who worked on the Trump campaign, and they were saying then that North Korea is going to be a priority for this administration. Where did that come from? Where or who in the in the presidential campaign or the transition team was really pushing this? Or was this Trump? I, I think it was forced on the administration by uh, the reality of North Korea's advancing program. Uh, you know, it's one thing if North Korea is conducting tests, they have a few weapons, uh, they maybe have the ability to threaten our allies in Asia. It's quite another for them to have the ability to threaten the U.S. homeland with uh, the risk of nuclear war. And so I think it was the fact that they were on the verge of acquiring uh, this nuclear ICBM capability that really got everyone's in attention. And if, in fact, I talked to friends who were working on the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, just over a year ago, and they said that Hillary Clinton's foremost priority was going to be North Korea uh, if she were elected. So I think it's uh, you know less about the personalities or the administration and more about the, uh, the facts forcing people in that direction. When there's a house on fire, many people get the uh, idea to run out. And uh, I think when an enemy has the, is on the verge of being able to threaten nuclear war against you, uh, that, um, that, that makes itself a priority. Well, there's been a lot of criticism of the eight years under Obama and the strategic patience approach. So, so are you saying that either way, whoever was in the administration, whether it was Clinton or Trump or depending on what happened, it, it would have been a priority? I think that's right. Um, again, just given the nature of the threat. Um, and, and there was a logic to the Obama strategic patience strategy at the time. Um, so it's not completely um, uh, you know, foolish the way some people make it out to be today. But I think there was a bipartisan consensus that that approach wasn't working and that we needed to, to try something different. So take us to this um, theoretical but looking increasingly more likely summit. Um, what will be on the table? What will be discussed? And how does this actually happen? What are the negotiations that could take place there between the two leaders? Well, it's a little bit unusual because often going into a major summit like this, you would have had many lower and mid-level meetings uh, kind of setting the table. Uh, and then the leaders would come in and kind of ratify uh, an agreement that had already been worked out. Uh, this is a little bit different. You have the big head of state summit really as the start of a process, not the end of the process. So I don't think that uh, Kim Jong-un and, and Trump are going to get into the details of uh, any agreement. I think the best we can hope for is kind of a high-level uh, agreement on some of the principles. Kim Jong-un, uh, we hope we'll agree to denuclearization, which is what the U.S. and the international community's goal is. Uh, and uh, the United States is going to have to uh, offer some things as well. It seems that Kim Jong-un is looking for a peace treaty uh, to finally end the Korean War. 
is looking for a security guarantee uh, that the United States won't seek to attack or uh, invade North Korea if it gives up its nuclear weapons. And in fact, there was an agreement in 2005 between the Bush administration and North Korea, kind of along these lines. And many people see this as a possible template for a future uh, agreement between the United States and North Korea. But at some point, I assume someone has to do the actual technical negotiations. If we look back at the um, the JCPOA, that the Iran Nuclear Accord, where you had a physicist, a secretary of the energy, actually doing the, the technical negotiations. So would that take place after at some later date? And, and who might do that in this administration? Well, if the uh, summit is successful, and that's uh, a big if, who knows how that will go. Um, but if it's successful, then I think the idea would be uh, to have these more technical discussions following from that. You know, so if the leaders can get some high-level agreement on denuclearization in exchange for uh, a peace agreement, uh, then uh, yes, it would fall more to the working levels of government to uh, to make uh, to make that work. Uh, what are the precise terms? What is the timeline? Uh, how do you verify uh, denuclearization, uh, which would be incredibly incredibly difficult? Um, you know, one thing that may be easier than the Iran negotiations here is that if we're really talking about complete denuclearization. Uh, then um, you, you wouldn't need all the details about you know um, how many centrifuges and at what level of enrichment and you know I think part of the reason the Iran deal was so complicated was because we did allow Iran to keep uh, quite a bit of its nuclear infrastructure. So if we can get a deal with North Korea that says you're getting rid of everything, uh, that can be a shorter shorter negotiation and shorter uh, shorter document. And do you think we could get to that point where they agree to get rid of everything? I'm skeptical. Um, my best guess is that what Kim Jong-un is trying to do here is is to play us, uh, to have his cake and eat it too. Uh, I think the pressure is starting to build on him. Uh, and so I think he wants to get relief from this pressure. But I don't think he wants to get rid of his nuclear weapons. So I think the gambit here is that if he uh, engages in a diplomatic process, that will lead to some of the lifting of the pressure to a comfortable level. And that may then allow him to uh, hang on to nuclear weapons, but uh, deal with the international pressure. And that's something we've seen his father and his grandfather do uh, in the past uh, to success from their point of view and, and failure from our point of view. Yeah, I think one argument I've heard is that Kim Jong-un is essentially waiting out this administration, that that's the approach. Do you think there's some truth to that? Uh, there could be um, some truth to that, but there are at least um, you know two and a half more years. So a, a lot can happen in uh, uh, two and a half uh, years, and uh, you know Trump may even win uh, win re-election. Um, so I, I don't know if it's waiting out the administration or just um, doing enough to to relieve some of the pressure, because the Trump administration has said that maximum pressure will remain in place until complete denuclearization has been achieved. Uh, but in practice, I don't think that's the case. I think some of the things the administration likely would have done, uh, increasing interdictions, uh, other things, uh, they've held off on doing because we're going into this uh, summit. So I think as long as there's a diplomatic process, it's going to be hard for the United States, uh, hard for uh, China to actually continue to maintain, quote unquote, maximum pressure against North Korea. So on that maximum pressure, how much of a role did the increasing sanctions play in getting us to that this point? Did that take a very heavy toll on the North Korean regime? Yeah. Uh, different experts would give you a different answer on this. Uh, some have argued uh, had no effect that Kim Jong-un just wanted this big summit with an American president for some time. Um, 
my view is is that the maximum pressure campaign um, did work. Um, I don't think Kim Jong Un wanted to be coming to the table discussing denuclearization. I think if uh, you know he wanted a summit, it was more to uh, have the United States president ratify his nuclear program, recognize his nuclear program. Uh, so I think the maximum pressure campaign worked. We know that it really cut into his uh, foreign exchange reserves, um, and um, we also know that. Um, uh, well, um, you know, he's having a difficult time importing and exporting uh, coal, oil, things like that. In addition, I think there's a chance he may have been spooked by all this talk of bloody nose attacks and, and things like that. So I, I do think that he was feeling the pressure and that this summit is a bid to get out from under that. Yeah, I mean, which brings me to how he looked at those threats of the bloody nose strike. What do you think Kim Jong-un makes of the Trump presidency? I mean, the U.S. is sort of a, a parlor game thinking about what North Korea thinks or what the leaders think. What do they think of Trump? It's really hard to know. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's called the hermit kingdom. We don't have great insights into uh, the inner workings of, of the government or Kim Jong-un's uh, thought. But I don't know if put, put yourself in Kim Jong-un's uh, shoes. You've got an unpredictable president, um, a president that has used force twice already in Syria. Uh, he has a more hardline team coming in in Pompeo and Bolton. Um, so if, if I were Kim Jong-un, I you know, I wouldn't know whether uh, an attack was coming or not, but I, I wouldn't put the probability at, at zero. I would think there is some a chance that I could go to war with the greatest superpower on earth, and uh, that's not a good way to remain in power. So looking at this from an international perspective, surely Iran must be keeping a close eye on what's going on. What do you think they're looking for and what lessons could they draw out of what comes out of this summit hmm. for their own program and the future of the nuclear accord? It's an interesting question. I, I've thought more about the reverse. Uh, what are the North Koreans thinking about looking uh, at the Iran negotiations? Uh, you know, many people have said that if we tear up the Iran nuclear deal, uh, then North Korea w won't be willing to cut a deal with the United States. They'll say, um, you know, why, why cut a deal if they're just going to tear it up? Uh, the argument the administration has made is that this will strengthen our leverage with North Korea because we'll be able to say, you know, the Iran deal wasn't good enough. Uh, for us to get a deal with you, it's going to have to be uh, better terms uh, than, than the Iran deal. Um, but your question, what, what are the Iranians thinking looking at North Korea? Um, that's an interesting question. I'll have to come back to you on that one. Yeah. They may not know what to make out of it. So assuming that the summit goes well and the two sides actually come to an agreement on denuclearization, what, what happens then? Even if the summit goes well, even if Kim Jong-un thinks right now he wants to get rid of his nuclear weapons, I think it's still hard to imagine uh, this actually going well. Um, one, it's going to take a lot of time to uh, verify that he's denuclearized you know, 60 or so nuclear weapons. Um, so in that time, a lot can change. Both sides might change their mind. Uh, you know, Kim Jong-un may be thinking seriously about denuclearization now because he's feeling pressure and because he's feeling confident with this large nuclear arsenal. If he starts getting rid of that arsenal, um, if the pressure starts to be lifted because of the diplomatic process, he might reasonably change his mind. You know, the, the pressure seems um, like it's lifting. Uh, I'm not sure I really want to go ahead and get rid of the, the last few nuclear weapons uh, that I have. And the United States and the international community might change their mind uh, as well. Um, you know, uh, we can see what's happening now with the Iran deal. Um, you know, people are criticizing it, threatening to pull out of it. Uh, something similar might happen with North Korea, because even if they 
uh, agree to get rid of nuclear weapons? Can we verify that? Are, are they cheating on the deal? Do they have five hidden in a cave somewhere? Um, and even if they get rid of all their nuclear weapons, they would still have ballistic missiles, human rights violations, you know, other things that um, uh, I think many in the West would be concerned about. So you can imagine many in the West criticizing the deal, even if it does uh, result in denuclearization. So just like people are threatening to, to tear up the Iran deal now, I think you may see something similar uh, with any kind of North Korea deal. One last question. What are your bets on where the summit will be? There's been a lot of speculation on the different countries that could host it, Mm. how far planes can go and trains. Um, Where do you think it'll be? My best guess is the DMZ, because I think the President, uh, President Trump likes the theatrics of, of being right there. Uh, and also for Kim Jong-un's security. Uh, as you know, he's only left the country once. Uh, that was in a heavily armored train uh, across the border to China. Uh, so I think he's probably nervous about getting on a plane and flying to uh, Singapore or, or somewhere else. Uh, so my best guess is the DMZ. You don't think Mongolia? <laughs> I guess Mongolia is a possibility too. And uh, they have mare's milk, uh, fermented mare's milk that I've heard is uh, interesting. So uh, that's what they could serve at the summit. Maybe Trump could try it soon. (laughs) Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining in. I'm Sharon Weinbaker, and you're listening to the ER. Thank you. Thank you.